All right, we're live. Welcome to the second episode of The Blend, CX and EX, everything in between. We're here today with Ethan Butte from BombBomb. Uh, Ethan, why don't you take a second and introduce yourself? Sure. Um, again, my name is Ethan Butte. My title is Chief Evangelist. It's been that way for a few years now. I'm not pro formally a founder of the company, but I've been around for, uh, it'll be 11 years full-time here pretty soon. And I was doing project work with the two co-founders for a couple of years before that. Um, we're about video email and video messaging. How do we make our digital communication more personal and more human. So I'm sure we'll be talking a little bit of video sure. for a variety of reasons today. Um, and prior to joining BombBomb, uh, I had a dozen year career in local broadcast television. So I was running marketing teams inside like your ABC, NBC, Fox affiliates in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in Chicago, and out here where I am now in Colorado Springs. So how'd you make the transition from TV broadcasting into, obviously, as Ethan alluded to, we both strongly believe in asynchronous communication via video. Uh, and you're, you've been at the forefront of that. So how'd you make that transition into it? Yeah, thank you for that. So I was just bored with television. You know, it was, uh, I did an internship when I was at the University of Michigan. Uh, and so that was kind of my natural, you know, kind of migration as I, as I graduated, I ended up uh, getting a job in broadcast television. I did that for a dozen years. And when, when we moved out here to Colorado Springs, I knew it would be my last job in TV because I was just kind of bored of it. So what I started doing was project work with a variety of different people I knew. I was working on my MBA at the time. So I had met a number of people that needed work that way. And then I had met socially the two co-founders of BombBomb. And actually one of them was uh, running internet sales at the NBC station out here. So I met him pretty early oh, on. And, world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Arriving here. So you know, I just reach out to people and like, do you need any video work? Do you need any writing work? So I wound up writing email campaigns and landing pages and making videos for people. And my whole MO there was, what do I really enjoy doing? What will people pay me for? What skills are transferable? I think a lot of people uh, watching or listening here might have fallen into or are currently in this trap of um, your view is a, has a little bit more of a blinder on than is appropriate. And so, you know, I had all of these highly transferable skills, but I wasn't aware of it because I associated them all with this, you know, old business or old industry or old structure or old model or old, you know, uh, responsibilities. Uh, when in fact, so much of what I was doing was super, super relevant. This is kind of like the, the onset of the peak of web 2.0, you know, the rise mm -hmm. of social blogging, et cetera. And so I love to shoot photos personally. I had shot and edited tons of video over the years and I had written hundreds, if not thousands of short form, um, marketing messaging. And so, um, it was super transferable to a variety of things. And so, uh, it was that exploration and, and I just really liked the two co-founders, Darren Dawson and Connor McCluskey. I liked what they were up to. Yeah. Um, I believed in what they were doing, you know, as I would, you know, I would meet with them periodically, you know, like every two weeks to a month, depending on how much, you know, work I was taking away from those meetings. Then I'd come back and deliver some materials and things and we'd always just talk. And so I just get to know more and more of kind of what the early stages were like, what they were struggling with, what they were excited about, what they were actually trying to get done. And um, I just was really bought into the whole thing. And at a certain point, they made me a somewhat competitive offer. <laughs> and I left this like 60-year-old company that was owned by a 120-year-old parent company. I had a pension plan, like, yeah. like all of this rely a good healthcare plan, which we did not have at BombBomb when I joined as like the sixth or seventh employee. And so... Um, that, that's kind of uh, how, how I made that transition. And it was, I just offer to people, if you don't like what you're doing, if you're tired of it, bored of it, it's not satisfying. A, um, tons of people are still hiring as many, you know, kind of layoff 
messages as you see on something like LinkedIn, tons of people are hiring and you are um, more interesting and qualified as a candidate for a more of a variety of things than you might give yourself credit for. I, I couldn't agree more. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I come from this. I come from, I worked in finance and then medical device and made my way into software where apparently you had to work in software for five years before you could be. So I, I get it. I think what it comes down to is, and I say this a lot, if you have faith in yourself, uh, you can get out of wherever you're kind of stuck in that mud and do something that's invigorating and exciting. And like you said, you, you left a very safe thing where like that was ingrained in us generations ago, but now through technology and, and really transparency, you can really do anything you want. If you just decide what that is and go for it. Um, I, we're both living proof of that. So absolutely. So you, you went to BombBomb. Uh, you're now the chief evangelist officer. Prior to that, video messaging, I mean, that was very, very new. I mean, even if you think about three years ago, people weren't even turning on their webcams for sales calls, right? So uh, talk to me, I guess, about, and I'm, this is probably a loaded question, but that transition of getting it out there and having people adopt to it, where have you seen it and, and where do you see it going? Yeah. Okay. So I'll try to keep this pretty tight, but I think it's a real. I really do think it's a very interesting arc because I think a lot of yeah. people see it on, you know, social or they receive one and they think that it's this new thing. So our company was legally founded in 06. Go to market was basically 2011. So uh, Darren, who I was working with at the television station here, left his full-time job in March of 2011. I joined in September of 2011. Um, and so at that time, it really was video email marketing software. So it was like a constant contact or a MailChimp, but designed around video to make um, putting those videos into those emails more natural instead of embedding in a Vimeo or a YouTube yeah. and trying to figure out how to take the code and get it into your MailChimp email. It also kept all the analytics together. So as you would send to 20 people or 2000 people, you know, it, it wasn't just open rate, click rate, and then, oh, let's go to YouTube and see how many, you know, uh, video plays, this unlisted video that we put there just so we could put it in, like all that nonsense, we, we made right. that much easier to do. Um, and the original founder's vision is exactly what's happening today at the time. Uh, Connor was selling outdoor billboards for a company called Lamar Advertising. And he had, he had mm -hmm. you know, inherited like every young salesperson had inherited just enough accounts to pay the bills, you know? Uh, yeah. But he was, a, he's just a natural um, salesperson in general. And he was clever and sharp. And so he dramatically grew his list. And in the Pikes Peak region, it could have been 90 minutes or two hours from like the farthest customer to the other farthest customer. So not insane. You could still visit people in person. Uh, but you couldn't visit nearly as many people in person, especially as your account list grew, um, as you would really want to, right? Because he knew intuitively, like every good salesperson, that they're not just buying square footage on a billboard on a particular road with a particular amount of projected car traffic or whatever. They're buying him, how he makes them feel, his strategy, um, his approach to doing things, the, you know, all of this stuff, like he was fundamental even to this product. Um, and of course we could, you know, as we think about different businesses and industries, the people play more or less of a role in different situations. Um, but in that case, he felt like he was very critical to the sale. And I think I would agree. Yeah. So he thought like, what if I could send myself to scale my in-person presence around contract renewal, board rotations, um, contract reviews, birthdays, anniversaries, all these other things, like these little moments that matter throughout the experience. And so that didn't exist at the time. So they set off to build it. And so um, 
early days was video email marketing, but the email marketing community rejected us. It's like that video doesn't play in the email in the inbox, which is a function of HTML5, which is a whole separate story. Um, it worked briefly for a while and then Apple killed it with iOS 8 um, or iOS 6, I forget. But regardless, um, so we had some early competitors in this zone. We added the live video recorder, which was a dramatic improvement before you had to record a video, edit it and upload it, which of course dramatically oh, wow. limits okay. who can put videos in. Yeah. So I remember the release of the first live recorder. I remember when we did our first Chrome extension that put video, not just in the top of Chrome, but also put the recorder inside the Gmail inbox. Um, of course, mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And then all of a sudden we had this kind of divide where some of our users were very much on this kind of lightweight, quick, one-to-one stuff in Gmail, um, in Outlook, in the mobile apps. And some people were still more very list-oriented. Um, you know, I want to send a monthly update or a weekly update, or every time this happens, I want to reach out to all the people in my database. And, so there's a little, and then some people kind of straddled both. But, you know, I think the great opportunity started to migrate toward this more one-to-one -one situation. So we kept doing more and more integrations. And now maybe six or eight years ago, you know, some of our early competitors started to fade away. They just didn't have the wherewithal or the momentum to sustain that kind of early dry spell of like, nobody knew what this was, yeah. email marketing wasn't adopting it. The tools were still a little bit weak. It was still very visionary to do, but some Change of our behavior. Yeah. 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 And some of our earliest people, like the origin story of two of our longest, best customers are the same thing. When I sent a personal video to them, and they opened it up and I was like, hey, Michael, or hey, Andy, um, and I answered their question or explained something or thanked them or whatever. They immediately knew the way I felt in that moment is how I wanted to make other people feel. And so it's like it's that intuitive nature of like, this is different. This is better. This is warmer. This is more personal. I want to make other people feel the way I feel right now. Yeah. Um and so when you think about business culture, the, uh, the amount of talk about personalization and relevance and all of these things, it was still very much a mass mindset in general, um, except perhaps if you're way up market in a complex sale, um, that's been obvious all along. But, you know, we're still in a transition phase. There's like, can I afford not to use these powerful mass blast tools? Um, and so I think that thing faded away and everyone understands now that it really is about being more direct and personal. And then I would say, we developed this newer phase of competitors like the Vidyards and Looms and some of these mm -hmm. other ones of the world where, you know, we had built a business around at the time, let's say 30, 40,000 people, primarily individuals, but some team accounts. Um, I think we opened up the opportunity there and both of those companies together are sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital that is based in this idea of Video is no longer, you know, Vidyard's original product, I think, was more of a CMO sale, right? This really rich, data-rich video platform to put videos in different places, gate them, track who's playing, perhaps do it on an account basis, et cetera. Yeah. They observed, like, you know, more and more people were waking up to that, why don't we equip, equip all of our BDRs and our AEs and our CSMs and all these other care associates? Why don't we equip all of them with these video tools? And um, that really changes for us. That was our business model all along. Um, although we've come up market and adapted with a set of team oriented products and team dashboards and ways to administer multiple accounts and things. Um, mm -hmm. I think the the two kind of met in the middle. And so there's still tools that allow you to do video for large anonymous audiences, for targeted smaller, but still large audiences. And then this true one-to-one -one bespoke personal video message um, to save time, to make a bigger impact, et cetera. So that's kind of the arc um, where we're going. 
I still, for some reason, and we might get into this, for some reason, it's gone so much slower than I would have expected. I mean, when I was trying to get a book deal with Wiley for that one, the orange one over my shoulder, uh, Rehumanize Your Business, they were like, ah, it feels pretty early right now. I don't know if the market is ready for this book. And at that time, I think um, one of those companies announced a major fundraise and another one announced a HubSpot integration. And so like I sent both of those articles to try to <laughs> considering the project. And I was like, you don't want this now. You're going to want it in a year. But here we are mm-hmm. now. That book came out in spring of 2019. So here we are three and a half years later. And I mean, we're definitely farther ahead, but not the way I would have hoped or expected. I, it just seems so intuitive to me that we would yeah. save time by talking instead of typing and make a bigger impact on people, um, specifically for EX and CX and the improvements that that provides. So you reached out. So, sorry, I, I, after that long answer, I was trying to rope oh, it back into the blend. There, no, no, no. There's a, there's a lot there. And, and <laughs> when I reached out to you on LinkedIn just to, to, to really meet, I did it over text because I, I think it's, it's a, again, like you said, a change in behavior, you responded with the video and that was so impactful. I think with the, the Vidyard, I, I, I've used it and it, it, it's a great tool. BDRs and AEs, they're, they're trying to differentiate on the front end to stand out amongst the noise. Until you adopt video as an everyday uh, means of communication throughout the life cycle of who you're engaging with all over the place, that's when it really changes. And that's why I think it actually delivers the most impact, that people can see you, they can see how you interact, they can feel what you're feeling in a sense. And you know, you said this from the day we met, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. We just all go back to email because that's how people communicate with us. So it's easy to reply like that. But if we stop ourselves and say, well, this would be easier to explain over a video or say X, Y, and Z, we'd see so much more impact. And uh, I, I've seen that, it, at least in my life, I, I've been reaching out LinkedIn with video, responding with video when they do text. and. People said that this is so refreshing. Like it's so nice to actually, I feel like I know you and it's not just spam where you can easily fall into that trap. So uh, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, There are, um, I'll just give a quick like takeaway, like a super practical thing. Like there are three moments when sending a video is better than typed out text and go to the example you just shared there. The first one is to establish or reestablish personal connection. So anytime I'm communicating with someone like you for the first time in email or in LinkedIn or, or similar, I almost always do a video um, because I want you to feel like you know me. I want you to feel like I actually care about what you're communicating with me about. Um, And honestly, if I'm not sincere about that, if it's like a borderline thing and I'm just going to do it out of obligation or reciprocity, I might just do text. Um, But in the case, I'm like, like, as soon as I saw who you were, what you were about, the way you reached out um, and what you're trying to get done with Hark, I was like, this is super interesting to me. I want, I want you to A, feel like you know me, B, to have you feel my intent, my motivation. I believe what I'm saying. I actually care. I'm truly curious about what you're doing. I would be excited to spend some time with you on Zoom um, and, and just to learn a little bit more about what you're doing. So like, that's the best way to communicate that. So number one is establish or reestablish a personal connection. Number two is emotion or tone. And this is super difficult with typed out text. If you're a leader or a manager, this is, I mean, if you need to provide corrective feedback, but you know, your next one-on-one is until next Thursday, don't wait, don't keep a notepad with all of the things you want to remind people about. Yep. If something is fresh, um, you know, either make it happen in the moment if you can, or a recorded video message allows you to convey, I'll just go to the kind of more positive side. Thank you. Good job. Congratulations. Um, I'm so excited for you. Um, you're amazing. These things are so much better done in video than they are like yeah. pecking it out, you know, with a couple exclamation points and an emoticon. 
On the other end, if it's bad news or an apology or, again, something like corrective feedback, some concern, that's also very difficult to capture. And it's so easy when you type something out and send it for someone, send it to someone, they can read it however they want to. Yeah. So if they feel like they really messed up and dropped the ball, but you want to do like that kind of um, constructive feedback, um, pat on the back, supportive message where you want to blend those together and say, Yes, you did drop the ball, but it's okay. I understand how and why it happened. The most important thing is that we put some safeguards in place and that you change this way that you approach this thing. Like, you know, really good, high quality coaching um, where you are going to be honest with someone, but you're also not going to just hammer them and beat them up or worst case, send some of that feedback in text and have them beat themselves up using your words and thinking that you're, you know, not being constructive about it and you're really just hammering them. For example, college professor, longtime customer of BombBomb um, would use this for all of his online classes because not only could he send back kind of the redlined paper that somebody wrote, he could explain what's there. So someone's not just seeing all these red slashes or highlights or marks on the page and feel like um, they're just getting hammered. And so emotion and tone, positive and negative, so much better done with video. And the last one is detail or complexity. You know, someone asked, and this is great for customer service, customer care, account management, or really any situation, even for sales and, and lesser degree prospecting. But Anytime someone reaches out with a question or you need to explain something that is going to take, you know, five paragraphs of text, um, mm -hmm. do a show and tell with a screen recording, walk and talk through a document, a report, backend analytics, um, whatever the case may be, legal language in, a, in a, a contract or a proposal, walk and talk through that so that people can truly understand uh, the answer to their question. Of course, it's great for showing and telling uh, behind the scenes in a piece of software as well, or um, in the case of Hark, it's really great for a customer to explain exactly what's going on with a problem yeah. or a situation. And BombBomb is so great for that. In, in terms of leadership, a lot of times we want to get things off our plate and say, here's here's you know your feedback or whatever it might be. And we don't realize the implications of that and what it can be on the team. I, I worked for a CRO, Kathleen Roberge, best boss I've ever worked for. She's incredible. But she had this habit of sending a text saying, hey, we should talk tomorrow, dot, 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 dot. Uh-oh. I remember someone would get that text and they would go through Slack, like, have you heard from Kathleen? Is she mad at me? And they get on the phone with her and she's like, are you crazy? No, I just want to talk to you. I, I wanted to fill up, follow up on X, Y, and Z. But she didn't realize, and it became a big joke uh, amongst the team. So that's something that's big right now as I've talked to CX leaders trying to analyze consumer sentiment and voice of the customer and, I, and, and, and so many people struggle and they do these manual ad hoc reviews where they go through all of this text. And it might be, you know, the example I give is my mom. She doesn't know what she's doing when she engages. She's on all caps. She just doesn't know the caps lock is on and that can come off as angry, but she doesn't mean it that way. She's just trying to get in touch. So um, that's been a big aha thing for Hark of, you know, in terms of giving voice to the customer, actually allowing your customers to engage. And to your point with BombBomb's early days, it was, it was a lot of friction. Like we have to take a video and then we have to upload it and edit it and all these things. And that's the way it is today. Like customers have to take a video, upload it to an email. The email is too big. I, I have customers that I've talked to have put YouTube links on a private channel and then sent that to the agent to just get their point across. Right. So people are yearning for that, that ability. And, and to your point, like that's what we try to do, reduce friction and let them do it in a nice, easy way.
Yeah, I mean, that's for CSCX stuff in general, I mean, I think we can all look at the score, the number, whether it's a CSAT score or an NPS score, but immediately that verbatim text is a qualifier. We've all seen an eight, and then you read the comment, is like, that should have been a 10, or like, yeah. that eight was generous. That reads like a four, right? Yeah. And and But we're applying some of our own thoughts and feelings to those typed out words, whereas, you know, with Hark and in general, with one-on-one -on -one interviews, um, and these types of things, the literal voice of the customer is it like, that's it. And so we're trying to settle for these convenient scaled proxies. And I think it's important. And there is a benefit to having a number and seeing how it's trending, but there's also a benefit to seeing the verbatim, uh, in support of that. I want to see all the verbatim feedback on nines and tens, or I want to see all the verbatim feedback on one through four, show those to me, or let's run them through a machine and get some sentiment analysis. Let's look for the keywords. Let's see what's popping up the most. And you can do all that stuff on a scaled basis, but there's no substituting because the number is the what the verbatim is a little bit of the why, but you have to kind of read between the lines because it's not an essay. It's two sentences or one sentence or a phrase or a fragment. Um, whereas uh, a 30 second video or a 30 minute interview, there's no substitute for the how it's being said, um, the real emotion behind those words so that we're not assuming or projecting or guessing. I mean, we need to make room for the full spectrum of customer feedback that we can collect. Uh, and I think in general, the easiest, fastest, most scaled thing we can do is where a lot of people bias because they feel like um, they don't have they tell themselves the lie that like, we just don't have time for that. Right. When it's the, one of the most important things we can do. And I also love this language around Hark of the perfect ticket and the idea of when a customer can give you all of that in one little package, whether it's a 90 second video, a 60 second video with a little bit of a comment, whatever the case may be like that, that full context and being it, like, they're actually welcoming you into their world, welcoming you into their scene. You're seeing where the product is being used or where you're seeing what it looks like to have service failure. And you're feeling the emotion of the yeah. person conveying that, even if they're like 24 hours removed and they're not as pissed or as hot as they were 24 yeah. hours ago, you're still getting that story in a way that there's just no substitute for. You talk to a product team and you read an email on a piece of paper and, and, and as they should, they push back and like, you know, what's the implication of this? And is this urgent? Where is this onboarding or is this having people go off the platform? But when you put a video in front of a product team and have them feel what the customer is feeling, it adds a whole new emotional element that, that you just can't replicate over any other medium. Yeah, um, I was speculating with you uh, yeah. on, on a call that we didn't record. Um, that, that this is going to change the employee relationship to the customer base in general. I think it's so easy and I absolutely, uh, appreciate every care associate on the front lines because of the fact that they're almost always interve intervening in a situation where someone is angry, frustrated, confused, confused is the nicest thing they're typically interacting yeah. with. Right. Yeah. But it goes all these, this, this full range. And so, um, I don't mean to suggest that they lack empathy or they lack the ability to put themselves in the customer's shoes. If anything, they're doing it better than probably anyone else in the organization. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're really cranking at some point, it can seem like here's another ticket or here's another call or here's another thing I have to deal with. Um, here's another person that doesn't get it or, you know, like we can get weak in ourselves from time to time. And, uh, 
And I think this ability to truly feel the customer in their own words and in their own scene, in their own home office or their apartment or wherever they are, um, is going to change the relationship. And, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what that does, uh, across tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of interactions in the months and years to come. Um, because I just think it's going to take this increasingly digital, virtual, and online experience that's filled with noise and pollution and make it more human. The, the, it goes back to the asynchronous side where, where you said with BombBomb, and, and I love BombBomb, again, to communicate internally. I think it's a great, great medium, that asynchronous ability. And, and the problem today with customer experience is they are trying to do, the, like you said, they are the best in class at what they do. But if it's not live chat, phone or email or form, they're not really engaging. And a lot of times they get the customer after they've been transferred twice or someone emailed them everything they thought they needed and they respond back with a long macro of we also need X, Y, and Z and it puts more onus on the customer, right? So I I think you're right. I think you do get angry customers because they're just like, I'm explaining this for the third time. Like, I just want help. And if you can allow them to front load that, and then you take it offline and you you circulate around your organization. I think you're going to find a lot happier customers and, and higher retention, which leads me to ask, we've entered a new macro environment. We, we all know that. Um, people are going to be looking to, I don't want to say cut headcount, we've seen that, but, but just looking at ways to streamline their businesses and cut costs in a meaningful way while also producing a great customer experience how like take take hark out of it just like you've worked with cx for a long time like how do you think people can thoughtfully do that yeah i think the most important thing and i i would also i'll, I'll just add one more layer it's not just the macroeconomic trends i think we've all seen these businesses when you look at the model it really is um at some level product led is the core idea. So we don't need a lot of uh, sales. We don't need to actively prospect. The product experience is going to speak for itself. Mm -hmm. It's going to have some level of contagion in it. And what often comes with that model is a complete lack of support. We see that all the time in our space because you know, yes, it's not that hard to, inst- it's actually super easy to install a Chrome extension. It's actually easy to hit a record button, but it's not easy to get through some of the human issues around being on camera uh, and when do I use this and what do I say and am I doing it right? And so um, you see, you know, challenges with adoption. And the other thing is you see a challenge with a a lack of support. I'm thinking of a particular product that I stopped using recently for a variety of reasons. And you you email in and it says, hey, we got your email, uh, your your ticket. Um, We'll get back to you in two to three days. And then five days later, they get back to you and say, hey, sorry for the delay. We'll be back to you in 24 hours. Then they get back to you. And it's what you just described, this homework assignment. Hey, based on what you described, you know, we encourage you to try a factory reset, follow these 18 steps, no shit, like follow these 18 steps. And then, and then, and then let us know if that works, then we can further troubleshoot from there. Like, well, I already did that step because that's what it says to do on your website. Like I'm actually looking for real help here, but you can't get anybody. Um, and so some, and that's my long way around. Some people have built business models around self-service when, the product or service experience and or the supporting material aren't in a place where someone can reasonably get, you know, a second tier question answered at all. Right. And Mm -hmm. so you wind up out on the internet with other people that are confused and frustrated because there's literally no resource for this because it's a relatively new product or service. 
they haven't produced the material. And so you just have these customers out there in these pockets and corners yep. complaining about these issues. So whether it's by design or whether it's by, you know, force of economic, because that's real, all of our privilege to serve people in the way that we choose to serve um, in our businesses, like that's what we're trying to do. Um, we have some responsibility to do it profitably, or at least according to a financial plan that approaches that at some point in the near or distant future. Like it has to, we have to be doing this according to plan. Um, and so my one word answer, now that I've said about it 1500 in response to your question is, um, is off ramps is my number one keyword, which is do as much, do as well as you can with self-serve, but put in those signals for yourself, those alerts and create off ramps so that your people are meeting other people exactly where they really need and want to be helped, right? This could be the rage click. This could be after, you know, we, we do this one loop or we do any of these, any combination of two of these six loops in the chat experience, which very often isn't even live chat. It's just a, a directory to the support site, basically yep. like, are yep. you experiencing this, this, or this, that, okay, here are three articles on that. Does this answer it? No. Right. Like as soon as I get, you know, whatever your signals are in any of these experience channels that you already laid out in the form of the question, create off ramps so that you can prioritize how your human beings are spending their time. Um, and then the other thing I'll say is a really high quality feedback loop so that you are aware of where are our deficiencies in terms of why do people want to get off this, the highway, the self-serve highway off ramp to a human, um, what are those causes and what can we start doing now to preempt some of those issues so that people can stay on their, you know, stay on their fast track toward generically speaking, customer success, the outcomes they desire, frictionless, whatever, um, and not intervene with your people. Because we all know in general, people don't really need or want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I just want it to work. I don't ever, I don't ever want to have to call, email, fill out a ticket, chat or anything. I just want it to work. Yeah. Um, and you don't want that because it's expensive. Um, and so, uh, so th that's it off ramps and then a feedback loop to pay attention to why people are off ramping and when, and what can we put into place to preempt the need to go off ramp, to talk to a real human being. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the rise of those huge FAQs and hiding the phone number, uh, to the point I had an HP printer and it stopped working and it was a month after the warranty ran out. Did it quick question. Did it stop <laughs> printing black ink? Yes. I wrote a blog post about that on my personal <laughs> website. It is by far not even close. My and most popular blog post of all time. I, it's like, yeah, so, so, it's so like you, this is exactly what I was talking about. This is, yeah. HP can't help me. So people are finding my blog post about my HP printer doesn't print black ink. And then there the comments are, there are like a hundred comments on there and people are proposing their little fixes. It's like, this doesn't exist with the company. And they won't answer. They can't help. And so yeah. we're off on Ethan Butte's personal website, like commiserating in the comments about how it sucks that my printer stopped printing black ink. I interrupted, but it is a perfect illustration. It's so funny. What a coincidence. We, we, might, we might have met before before we actually yeah. met over, over person. Uh, sorry. It, sorry. So it stopped printing black ink. And what did yeah. you do? I couldn't get in touch. And then they wanted to charge me $3 to talk to somebody, which I thought it's $3. Three hours isn't a lot of money, but it's just the premise, right? Of okay, so I obviously mean nothing to this company. So then I had to go on one of their blogs and write a complaint, and I was so frustrated and livid, and took all this time out of my day just because I, I can't, you know, I, I have to. 
And then I deal with the most delightful customer service person who was like, just send me X, Y, and Z and I'll take care of it for you. And he did. And it was just such a nice, and, and we need more of that. I mean, the, the we talk a lot at Hark about the contact us page and the contact us page, you, you buy something and you go there and you're like, okay, let me figure out how I'm going to engage with this brand. It's going to be one of these for like form, live chat, whatever it might be. How refreshing would it be to be like, hey, things happen and we know that, right? We're trying our best, but things happen along the way. We're here to help. We've invested in these channels. What works best for you? And little synopses of like, hey, with Hark, you can get in touch in 30 seconds. If, if, you, if it's not urgent, we'll get back to you in 24 hours and you can track it along the way. With live chat, live chat's great, but it's wildly misused. Like you don't always have to talk to somebody in the moment and it crushes the brands to try to help you. So I think a level of transparency between brands and the, the consumers to say, we're doing our best. These are the best ways for us to engage based on what you need. If you could follow them, it's going to be a delightful experience. And I think most consumers are like, cool, thanks for laying that out for me. I'll engage that way. But we like hide it behind smoke and mirrors and we try to show we're something we're not using robots and this and that. Like, just be a little bit more real, a little bit more genuine. And I think that'll be uh, reciprocated. This is one of the most common themes that we talk about on the Customer Experience Podcast. It fits in this zone of setting and managing expectations. That's it. Yeah. Right. So much of negative customer sentiment um, is in this zone of I was hoping for or expecting something. You didn't set or manage my expectations. I get there. It doesn't meet my own perhaps grossly mm-hmm. inflated and un- unreasonable expectations, but I'm yep. now disappointed because disappointment is a function of expectation. So what you just shared, there's a beautiful example of a way to set and manage expectations. And then if you do that well, to borrow from Shep Hyken, arguably the godfather of customer service and, and as a consequence, customer experience, um, you know, being amazing is simply being slightly better than average, or in this case, slightly better than expectations all of the time. Yep. That's it. You don't have to be a five star. You don't have to have one of the, you don't have to do all these like way crazy above and beyond things that wind up in the books and the blog posts and the stage presentations of, can you believe this company did that? That's not what this is about. It's about being slightly better than average all of the time. Yep. Um, and so the key to that is setting expectations. What is, and, and the, the other good thing is if you can do that, you're already better than most people because most people struggle here. You know, they're trying to, you know, swing for the fences or they just plain don't care. Um, and they're just, you know, ripping all, you know, truly seeing it as a cost center as opposed to a retention or an expansion opportunity. Um, just the experience in general and, and they're just not investing at all. So you, Slightly better than average all the time is truly an amazing experience. And in this average thing, don't leave it to people to define on their own because my average is here, her average is here, his average is here, her average is there. Like you can't deliver that way. So you define it and then do it. Yep. Um, and people will love you for it. Yeah, I know we're getting at time, so we'll we'll kind of wrap it up on that thought. But yeah, I mean, you think about people who buy from a brand and then you know, come home and talk to their partner and say, oh, this brand's getting too big. Like they don't care about us little people anymore. And it's to your point, it's like you used to get in touch within 12 hours and they'd always get in touch within 12 hours and, 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 and rectify your need. Instead of keeping it at 12 hours and now coming in at 24 hours or 48 hours, just up your time. Like, hey, volumes are higher. It's gonna be 24 hours now, but you know you're gonna hear from us. And as long as, like you said, you set that expectation, people just wanna feel taken care of. And in an era where you can't go to a store and feel taken care of by somebody in person who can hear you and feel your emotion, 
there's other methods that are going to come up and break out of these four walls of customer experience and allow for that. So uh, absolutely. Uh, I know we're, we've got five minutes. So any last parting words before, before we get going? No, I, I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate the opportunity. I do think that, um, I guess I will. I'll double down on video. I'll, do, I'll double down on video. We are going to be doing more selling and serving digitally, virtually, and online in the future, not last period, almost regardless of your business model. And the no channels we're trying to connect and communicate through are noisier and more polluted than ever. They're only going to get noisier and more polluted in the future. And when we go into this battle, trying to be of service, to be of value, to get attention, to get someone to reply, all these various things that we're trying to do, it's all really just a series of micro yeses. We need all these little yeses in order to be successful. And we need to make it easy for people to say yes. We're going into that battle with one arm and one leg tied behind our back. We're going out exclusively with faceless typed out text. And so if you want people to understand, if you want people to feel something, which by the way you do, because feelings drive thoughts, thoughts mm -hmm. drive words and decisions and behaviors and customers' words, decisions and behaviors drive your business outcomes. So if you think feelings sound soft, I'm sorry, feelings drive your business outcomes through that chain of, of consequences. And those thoughts may be conscious or subconscious. So we need to reach people in ways that make them feel something. And if you're not doing that intentionally, you're leaving it to them to feel however they want to feel. Back to our uh, last pass there on expectations, expectation management, explain how you think about the different channels, share with people what they can expect from those different channels, and then deliver it. And they're going to feel like, oh, I can trust these people. That's yes. a great, that's a great feeling that you don't ever want to let go of once someone experiences that with you and associates it with your brand, with your logo, with your people, with your product, whatever. I mean, that's exactly what we want. And so we need to reach out in ways that are going to make people feel things. And video allows you to do that better than any other medium, short of being there in person, which most businesses are not set up to do. And so, um, equipping people, whether it's your own uh, team members or whether it's your customers to use more video more often is just period. It's just a winning play. And it's not about video. It's about humans seeing, hearing, understanding, appreciating, empathizing with other human beings. And it's just the next best thing to being there in person. I'll leave it at that. I uh, said beautifully. So Ethan, I'm humbled to have met you. I'm excited for the, for the rest of our relationship and, and to keep in touch. I know you're going on a five-week sabbatical. I hope you very much enjoy that and, and, and can refresh and um, thank you for everything. Uh, I, I'll leave it at that. It's awesome. been a great discussion. Thank we'll you very soon. much. Thank you for the invite and the opportunity. Love the conversation. Happy to have it anytime recorded or otherwise. Ethan, I appreciate it. Thanks.